Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning. So how many of you slept in today? Let me see. Come on. Come on. You picked a great time to come because in 2008, we made a rule where we couldn't give noogies anymore. And so normally we would give you noogies, but not this year. Nope. Uh, if you'll turn to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 was what we're going to look at today. Um, and we don't do niggies because we're a, we're a nice church. That's the theme of today's passage, so that's kind of what I'm having to be. What I want to do today is, uh, because we took a week off and we're at week nine in, this, in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, it's going to be towards the end of your Bibles. There's two books named Thessalonians. We're going to want the one that starts with the number one, chapter 5. And let me just, what I'd like to do is just give us kind of a run-in overview of where we are into these eight weeks, because I want you to hear not just the content, but mostly the mood of Paul, that's who wrote this, towards this church in Thessalonica. It's a brand new church. It's early in the Christian um, church starting movement. It's called planting, church planting movement. This is one of his first ones. And Paul has to leave because uh, he's being persecuted, and so he never gets a chance to really see if the roots were established, but they were. And so he's riding back and forth, and he has such a fondness towards this church. I, I feel that the same way towards Grace, but I want you to listen to his paternal view towards them, that he, he looks at them as a, as a father, but not any dad. He looks at them as a very proud father, because of the way they're enjoying hearing the gospel and then applying it in the context, mind you, in the context of, of extreme levels of persecution even unto death. And yet they're, they're staying firm to the gospel. So the first part, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read a, a handful of verses. Uh, I edited half of them away, but I just, I just wanted you to hear the tenderness that Paul has, these encouraging words towards this great church. Um, one, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3 says, we, we continually remember before our God and Father your work that produced, was produced by faith, the labor that was prompted by love, your endurance that was inspired by the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in 7 it says, And so you have become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Chapter 2, he says, We love you so much that we delight to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives we shared with you as well, because you had become so dear to us. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says, For you know that we, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own son. There's that paternal part. With his own children, encouraging and comforting and, and urging them to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. For what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown that we will receive in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Isn't it you? It is you, indeed. You are our glory and our joy. And finally, just to belabor the point, for now we really live, since we are standing firm in the Lord. And I'm sorry, since you are standing firm in the Lord, we can thank God, we cannot thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that you've given us because of the way you've acted towards God. So there's that mood. And he's, the point is, this is a proud father with his young church, and he's saying, you people are doing a fantastic job serving the great king. 
And, the, and much of the book is about never giving up, never give up. It, you see it throughout the book, both books, because by, by saying never give up, he keeps saying what you're doing is fantastic. You just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And, and I'm like uh, George MacDonald, a famous uh, writer that C.S. Lewis was quite fond of, said this about God. God is like a father. He said, he's easily pleased but never content. He's easily pleased. God is, is easily pleased but never content. You're doing a great job. Look, you took your first steps. Now let's run. Let's teach you to run. And, and, and fathers are like that. Parents are like that. And God is like that as well. And so now what I'd like to do is read to you how pervasive this idea is in these two books where, where Paul says, you know what? You're doing fantastic. Keep it up. More and more, he says. I'll put these on the screen so you can read along with me, okay? He says, finally, brothers, we instruct you, we, we instruct you on how to live in order to please God. In fact, you are living that way. See, you're doing it. And now we're asking No, we're urging you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do this more and more. Chapter 4, verse 9, just a few uh, verses down. Now, about brotherly love, I do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And, in fact, you're doing that. You are loving all the brothers throughout Macedonia. I urge you, brothers, to do so, what, more and more. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the, love of, uh, and the love of every one of you has for each other is increasing still. Never give up. Never give up. You have, in these two books, the keys to many of the great questions of life. Right? I mean, uh, life and how to live, death and what to expect, the final judgment how to live at work, that's where we spend a lot of our time, and our relationships as well. And all of this you, you people are doing, the Church of Thessalonia, and you're doing it great. And what I'd like to do now is for the next two, now that we know that, and to do it more and more, we're going to look at the last few paragraphs in chapter 5. And what I want you to see is these are written to the community of the church, all of the church. And, and they're supposed to learn how to get along with each other to magnify the potential of the effectiveness of their church. And, and what this is community living is what it comes down to. Now, I'm going to use a metaphor for the next two weeks of a sports team because I think it'll help us understand how in, essential, not just important, but essential it is that we work as a team. Uh, you could use the metaphor of being in the military, uh, being part of a family and the church, but we need to know how to illustrate the church. So I'm choosing to use sports because, as you'll see, it'll help us better uh, see the power of working together. Now, with that in mind, we're going to look at those last few paragraphs at the end of of 1 Thessalonians 5. It'll be communal. This week, we're going to look at how how we're supposed to work together with our team captains, um, with our coaches, with the leadership. And then next week, the next couple weeks, we're going to look at, okay, how do we work with each other as, as team players, all right? So we're, we're looking at a community life or, I guess, working as a team together because if, if you have a great goal, right, maybe to win the national championship, and you have a vision for that, but you don't have teamwork, you'll never make it because vision is not enough. Yeah, yeah, vision without team is nothing. A cause without communal 
rules, it's not enough. You have to get along with each other. You have to have the standards to live by. And again, sports teams do this marvelously. If they, if they do it, they, they do it well. When I was coaching, when I was coaching t-ball, um, and, and I only say that because it's in every sport, we ask everybody to kind of sign some kind of covenant of getting along. And honestly, it had nothing to do with t-ball. It could have been used in any sport from t-ball to college to pro. How we're going to treat each other how we're going to treat the leadership, how we're going to treat each other's equipment. Because if we don't have great community and if we don't mutually respect one another, we won't win no matter how good we are. You remember one of the first Olympics where they allowed professional athletes to play, I think it was the summer games that come to my mind, and we sent the all-stars from the NBA, and (laughs) we didn't even place I think Chechnya beat us, and they had four guys on the, on the court because everybody out there were, was playing like, a, like an individual, like prima donnas. It wasn't a lack of talent. It was a lack of team camaraderie and teamwork. We have to have a culture that speaks about mutual respect, and especially in the context of what we're talking about today, is respect for the leadership. Uh, in business, I think it's called organi- organizational dynamics. You got your goals check, vision check, but you have to have something magic in how you interact with each other. And what we're talking about today, we're just using sports as a metaphor because the church is far more profound with its cause than any sports team. It's more ambitious than any military maneuver, even to save the free world, because God is our king, and he has sent us with a cause to many of the things we, we sung about was just setting people's souls free from the captivity of their sin. We get to be part of, of teaching people to obey all that he's commanded, and those commandments are not burdensome to us. We, we get to be the instruments of God's Spirit, quite often instrument of God's Spirit, to help people define what is true about life and death and final judgment and how to make sense out of work and and how to make sense out of relationships. So this is the ultimate cause given by the ultimate, you know, expression of authority, God, the king of the universe, to radically be part of grace-transforming people's lives. That's our goal. So we better do the other part, and that is teamwork, right, and working well together and getting along. So what do we do with the captains? So with all that as an introduction, this section says, what are we to do with the captains? How are we to treat them? How, do we, how are we to find them? How are we to treat them? If you'll see in 1 Thessalonians 5, now I'll turn to this passage now. I'm going to read chapter 5, and I'm going to start in 11 because it makes a good transition to our material, and it's a really great verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. Do it again, more and more. Verse 12. Now, We ask you, brothers, respect those who work hard among you, those who are over you in the Lord, those who admonish you. Hold them to the highest regard and love because of their work for you, okay? Live in peace with one another. So there's basically two things to do there with the captains and one kind of a, oh, yeah, for the rest of us. The two things to do with the captains, and I'm using that as an illustration, captains or coach, right, the people in leadership. The first one is to acknowledge the leadership. Acknowledge the captains of the team. Now, your translations probably don't say acknowledge. 
And, and the reason is it's, it's kind of a difficult word to translate, and I want to show you how other translations, literal translations like the New American Standard and the King James and the Net Bible have translated that word for, I think NIV says respect. But let's look at it on the screen now. Now, we ask you, brothers, uh, to respect, okay, but in the New American Standard it says, no, appreciate. Well, actually, the Net says acknowledge. King James says actually just, just to know who they are those who work among you, who are over you in the Lord, those who admonish you. And so the idea there is to, the idea of respecting, because of the word that's used and the reason the other translations go to just knowing them or acknowledging them, it's saying, look, by acknowledging them as leaders, you're respecting them, okay? By making a note that those are the people that have become captains, that's how you appreciate them. You, you enjoy them because you value that they are the captains. So it's, it's, you, you can't just leave it with respect. You have to go a little deeper about what the word really means, and it means to acknowledge. It means to um, tag. That would be a good way to say it. You are tagging them as captains. And by putting that tag on them, you're saying, wow, that's respecting. The second thing, once they get tagged, we're going to see what to do with that, okay? But let me just, let me just show you. What, what, he, I think he, what I think he's getting at. How do, you, how do you tag? How do you choose? How do you acknowledge? How do you know the captains? Have you ever been on a sports team? Ever had a child in a sports team? When the coach announces the captains, you're never supposed to be surprised. Okay. Because the captains are the ones that are already doing all the work. They just haven't been knighted the captains yet. They're maybe too young. If someone, if someone is given the captain position and everyone on the team is surprised, I'll bet somebody bought uniforms <laughs> or there's, a, there's, a, there's something else going on here. But generally speaking, we all know who the captains are. And so, he's, so Paul says, how do you acknowledge the captains? How do you know who the captains are? Just like you and I on sports teams, he says, they are the ones that are already, what, diligently laboring among you. They are already the ones in charge over you in the Lord. They are the ones already admonishing you in the Lord. They're doing these things already. So they're, they're serving sacrificially, right? They're, they've kind of realized, you, everybody's realized, wait a minute, she knows where they keep everything. Ask her. Right? And then admonishing, that means we looked at that two weeks ago. That means when a person is teaching for for application, for life change, not, not a history lesson in a, under the church roof, right? Not just information for information's sake. It's the person that says, look, here's what the Bible says. We, we, we need to apply this in, in your life <laughs> really soon. And it's the person that's willing to have uncomfortable conversations because, because God said so, right? And, and we saw a video two weeks ago of a person at a table with four people at a table, and one of them's choking on some food. Remember, I showed it twice. I'll just review. Uh, two people just stared at the person that was choking and didn't know what to do. One person started giving a lecture on the Heimlich maneuver, giving information that might be helpful someday. That is not a person that is in le- That's not a captain. The captain was one at the other table who was already aware of the Heimlich maneuver, got up, came over, pulled him out of his chair, and performed, actually did that thing to the victim and set him free. 
saved his life. So that's, what it, that's who Paul is saying. When he's saying acknowledge those people, here's what he's saying. Every believer's a minister, right? I'm just the pastor. You're the ministers, right? So this passage is not about pastors so much. It can apply to pastors, but it's about everyone. So it, it is, it's not male or female. It's not paid or unpaid. It's not ordained or unordained, right? Regular lay people. It's not a pastor or lay people. There's no, it's just everyone. You look around at, at a local church and you say, wait a minute, who's, who's serving in a way where they're sacrificially giving amongst you, right? And there's, there's some kind of a leadership already taking place and they really want to apply the Bible. And that, that's in our children's ministry. It's not an age qualification. We have, we have college staff that do this all summer long for our high school. Some, some of our high school students are captains for our junior high department. We have junior high students that are captains for the fifth and sixth or fourth and fifth grade. So it's people that are doing this already. He says, look, you let them be captains. Acknowledge them as captains. Recognize them. And by recognizing them, you are giving them respect. That's, there's two parts to this, and that's the first way to do it. Now, I think the reason Paul is saying that, he's made this list, they're already right, working among you. They're already having some kind of leadership. They're already doing admonishing, is because this was culturally contrary to the way the people kept score back in the day, and kind of today too. So they weren't putting, Paul was saying, look, don't put people in charge. Don't give them the captain's badge or the coach's badge because, you know, they went to school or they're very talented. They're easy to look at. They have a great personality, right? They're very successful in business. Who cares? Who's doing it in the church right now? Are they gifted by God's spirit? Are they working hard? Are they applying the passages to people's lives and their own lives? That's what Paul's looking for. And he says, that's who the captains are. Acknowledge them that way. Now, at Grace, when you get, you know, to the higher parts of, of leadership here, we, we have a few standards. And I, here's the thing. This is, I felt like I could tell you, because of the passage today was on leadership, I could kind of pull back a curtain. So many of you are new. And I could tell you the way leadership works at Grace. And, and this is an opportune time to do that. One of the things we look for in leaders, because we talk a lot about mentoring at Grace, because the Bible talks a lot about mentoring in the epistles, Jesus mentored. And so we look for people, mentoring means you, you acknowledge that you have something to bring to the table. Either a lot of mistakes or maybe a lot of wins, who knows. But there's people 10 years younger than you that probably could learn from you. And so you seek out people to mentor. So we don't, we don't put people in leadership so that they can mentor. We say, who is already mentoring? Who already gets that they need to be influencing younger people for God's glory? That there are admonishing people that are younger than they are. So we look for people that are already in a mentoring kind of uh, uh, lifestyle. The other thing we talk about, Grace, a lot, because the Bible talks about it a lot, is relational discipleship. Now, relational discipleship is when you intentionally engage in a friendship that is more, for, more than you know, for utility or for pleasure, but rather for, for the goodness of that person, for his soul's sake. And so this is kind of a peer relationship, and you are engaging in a peer relationship already so that you can tell each other the truth, and you're already doing relational discipleship. We're not going to put you in leadership as a captain so that you can now encourage other people. We're going to see that you're already in, 
in relationships that you're doing that. And now we're going to see, now we're going to call you a captain. You're already a captain. We're now acknowledging that so that you, so we will respect you by acknowledging that. So that's how it is in various levels, in various ministries, male, female, children's youth, whatever it might be. And let me go a little bit uh, deeper and say, here's what we do for elders, because so many of you don't know how our churches run. Uh, we have an elder board that leads uh, the church. It's not, it's not a person, it's a board, and there's no one really on it that, that's above anyone else. It's kind of a round table sort of experience. And to be on the elder board, we use the Bible as well, and, and there's passages in uh, the Peter's, the books from Peter, uh, Timothy, and Titus. And there's a list of qualifications there, and and, and to summarize, it's, it's godly character and practice plus the ability to defend doctrine. There's, there's a list, okay? But it's godly character and practice and the ability to defend doctrine. And so with that in mind, let me tell, tell you three things we, we apply to that so that you know where when you see an elder at our church, you'll know how they got to that position. Peter says that you should shepherd the flock among you. Uh, the, the elders. And so we're looking for people in the church that are already doing the shepherding, and one, they, they need to be older. Now, the reason we use, we like older uh, men to be elders is because the word elder means older. I know, I know. It seems simple enough, but elder means older. And listen, life, you know, time doesn't cause wisdom, but you can't have wisdom without time, okay? Life teaches you some hard lessons if you're teachable, and that's why some people can be rather old but not wise. But you can't be wise without being a certain age. You have to be kind of old, and that's why they're called elders. We look for, we, we, we're kind of looking around 40 and above, and here's why. The second thing that we look for is someone who has children in high school or above. A, a person who has children in high school or above, and here's why. Because for, for that, that, there's two reasons there. One is per, for his protection, okay? When, when children are young, if we had a, a young elder in his mid-30s or something like that, and his children are young at home, they're, they're, they're so moldable, they're so impressionable when they're young, and the, and the children never get that level of, of vulnerability back. And we, don't, we do not want to be part of a, of a group, a church, that takes a, a father out of a living room where he could be making a positive impression on his son or daughter. We won't do that. That's, I, it's just, well, I'll, I'll say it. I think it's wrong. And, and those children, they need a dad at those times. And so we won't do that for those children or for that marriage or for that family. That young father needs to be there while the clay is still soft, seize the day. The second reason we look for men that have uh, children in high school or older is because high school students teach you things that other people in life can't. And one of them is that if a person's not teachable, it doesn't matter what you say or do, they won't learn. If a person's not teachable, you can, you can beg, you can yell, you can scream, you can bribe, but they're not going to change. And so we want uh, some people that have experienced that with someone that they love so much they would happily die for. And we want them to have experienced uh, hopelessness <laughs> in, a, in a happy ending. 
We, want, we don't want them to think there's going to be a happy ending. And here's, here's why. Because when you parent teenagers certain times, when you parent teenagers, you learn that begging and, and yelling and stealing and manipulating and bribing or whatever, anything, all those things, if a person can't change, you realize this, that what will change them is living with the consequences of their choice. And there's a depth of love that is, ex- that is excruciatingly painful. When you say to someone that you would give your life for, okay, have it your way. And you, you just have to learn that a really hard way, and you kind of give up hope for happily ever after. And here's what you cling to. We will do the right thing you know, with the right motive, the right way, under the right circumstances, because that's all we can do. And we just hold on. So we look for an older person. We look for them having children in high school or out so that they've, they've you know, they had these scars, right? Like, look at that man. He has no hope. Good. Bring him on. Um, <laughs> and then last, we need, uh, we've kind of added this. We need, we need uh, people that can see the big picture that can see the whole field from a kind of a coaching or a captain's point of view. They haven't focused just on their area because we don't have a leadership that's based on the House of Representatives. They bring their ministry onto the, into the room because we don't need agendas uh, for their cause. We, we just can't afford that. It just doesn't work. And so some people just don't have the ability to, to have the panoramic vision of what is best for the whole church at sometimes the expense of some ministries. So, again, I'm here to just tell you, here's how we pick, here's how we tag uh, captains and coaches, and some of those coaches, captains are called elders, and those are the qualifications that are kind of a little bit specific to what the Bible already says, godly character and practice that can defend the Bible, okay? Now, I just brought that over here because that, that's something that you may or may not know, and the, and the gentleman that you, you'll see every once in a while when we have... Um, uh, affirmation uh, times that you'll know they've gone through somewhat of a gauntlet like that already. But again, let's go back to this is not just pastors and elders. This is everyone. This is, this is a fifth grade girl that has shown herself to be regularly working, serving, right? That people are asking her what to do next, right? And, and she's admonishing her little four, fourth and fifth grade girls to, you know, to submit to authority in some kind of t- context, Okay. So that's the first part of it. He says, okay, choose your captains, not by pedigree, but by who's already doing it. And once you choose your captains, what are you supposed to do? That's the next part of the passage, chapter uh, 5, verse 13. He says, hold the captains in highest regard in love. Hold the captains in highest regard in love. Verse 13a says, and you are to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, why do you esteem them in love? Because of their pedigree, because they're educated, because they do well in the business experience or they have great kids? No, because of their work. Esteem them highly in love because they're captains, because they're working harder than anyone else. They're here early, they stay late, they serve, they admonish. Okay? We're, not, we're judging them because we're judging based on their serving. And so how do we do this? We highly esteem them and love. We don't criticize. Okay, there, what, what's the saying? No, let no good deed go uncriticized. It's something like that. Serving at a church, I'm not, not just pastorally, but I mean serving in the children's ministry, whatever it might be, 
It's a little bit like working in uh, like a utility company. I've had some friends that work for the utility companies here in town, and it occurred to me, what a terrible job. Um, I've said that to their face and went, oh, no, stop talking. But, but have, can you imagine, here's why, can you imagine somebody with the electric company receiving a call from maybe me and say, hey, hi, this is Matt Cassidy, and I just want to tell you, my electricity is working fantastic. I mean, it really is. I'm, I've just took a measurement. It is 60 hertz all the time. You guys are really, really good. And listen, if you could save me the phone call, could you call the water guys? Because I think my water tastes fabulous. No. Never. Some of these guys, 30, 40 years in the business, never had a call like that. So what kind of calls do they get when it goes wrong? And how are the callers? Happy-dappy? Not so much. No. And it feels that way sometimes in ministry. They, you only hear about things when they're broken. And this passage says, highly esteem them in love because of all the work they're doing. Thank them. Encourage them. Look, I'm okay with constructive criticism. That's fine. Every week here, we try to do next week better. Honest to goodness, we do. It's constructive criticism. But when you turn to the guy next to you and say, I wish the music were louder or softer or brighter or dimmer or, or better transitions or why, you know, all that. It, when you tell him, that's just criticism. That's not constructive because nothing's going to change. That person, if you t tell the people that can make a change and you say it nicely, that's constructive criticism. But the, just yapping about it and being critical is not, is, it, it's, it, it's antithetical what he's talking about here. So it, it's, it's about encouraging the people that are in in the place of being a captain. The first one's there, the last one's to leave, admonishing people. This, this can be a very difficult job sometimes, especially when you are having to admonish people, when you're having to do the Heimlich maneuver on someone choking, and they'd rather choke, thank you very much. Chuck Swindoll, he's a pastor up in uh, the North Dallas area. He tells a story of one of his pastor friends that he was working with a couple, and she had an affair, and she had a, an ongoing affair. And so the leadership, right, the elder board, the leadership was trying to get her to be reconciled to the church and reconciled to her husband and reconciled to her children. And they, and they were doing all those things. She, they were begging and, and pleading with her and yelling at her and, and bribing her and doing whatever it was to do. And, it, you know, it was kind of working. And then the pastor was, uh, it was kind of an older, old school kind of thing where they'd have weeks of revival, and it was revival week. In the middle of all of this, it was revival week. So, you know, every night they had a sermon. And, and one of the last sermons he gave, he said, God, I could just, you could feel the spirit. You could touch him. And people were coming out of the seats at the end. They had a thing called an altar call, and people were coming down forward, and they wanted to, to make it right with God and, and their fellow man. And this woman comes out of the row. I can't believe she was even there, the pastor says. And he comes, she comes out of the row, and she comes down the aisle, and she puts her hand in the pastor's hand, and she says, I want you to know more than ever in my life, I'm more committed to ever than doing any, everything I want to do. I'm going to live for myself. I wanted you to hear from me. I just crushed this guy. Hope he wasn't, I hope he didn't still have hope in a happy ending. Uh, Mark Buchanan is a favorite, one of my favorite authors because he tells the truth. And he says when, in, in their experience in this church, he works on Vancouver Island in a little church. He says, we've, we've, we've practiced church restoration or church discipline multiple times, and we have never once had a positive experience. Not once. He says, he says, I've never been involved in church discipline in an action that comes out well. 
When it's all said and done, everyone, everyone, including me, seems soured by the whole business. The person that's a victim in the relationship, in the situation, says you, were, you went too easy on the person. The person you're actually doing the discipline and restoration with thinks you're dropping a hammer. And then everybody in the church kind of picks sides, and they get to negotiate on which, who's who. And usually, again, the people, the victims say, oh, you played it too nice. You were too patient. You took too long. And there's people over here who are saying you're being legalistic and vindictive and unfair. People vote with their wallets. They vote with their feet. And Mark Buchanan says, I can't, not once has this ever worked in a positive way. And we'll do it again. And we will do it again. Because that's what the Bible says. I have... I have these two piles of rocks in my office. One is from the Valley of Elah in Israel. I mean, this is from Elah. Uh, it's where David killed Goliath, and we pick, I picked up a bunch of rocks, and so did some other guys. And when some people do crazy stuff at our church, you know, kind of spontaneous, wow, you just slayed a giant, we give them a rock. That's the kind of church we are. You're good, good, that's great. You fell on that grenade. Here's a rock. Um, and so one of the times I went to Israel, I thought, you know what? We were at the, we were at the beach where where Jesus restores Peter, remember after he denies him? And it's a whole different kind of rock. It's like a lava rock there. That's as close as you're going to get to description. But uh, So I thought, I'm going to pick up a bunch of these rocks, and I'm going to bring them back to church, and I'm going to have another pile of rocks because when people come back after, you know, they've been corrected and after we've loved them to reconciliation, all that, we're going to hand them a rock. We, that's good. We do it, Grace. We give people rocks. And I was so excited, more excited for these rocks of restoration than I were for the giant killer stones. It's been eight years. We gave out one rock. One rock in eight years. Because someone finally came back and said, you know what, you guys were right. And I was wrong. And my marriage and my family and my life is better for it. Now, where's my rock? So, (laughs) it's hard. Let me tell you how... Uh, we do this again. This is, let me tell you what's behind the curtains that you don't know about. And you know, I don't know why I'm telling you this just so that you know that this church, this church is very good at this. Let me see if I'm here. Yeah, right. Okay. Let me just tell you a warning. First of all, you should be this way at our church. And there's two reasons why people aren't this way. Okay. One is, um, that you're not a positive person, you you're t- tend to be critical everywhere, you know, kind of all the time, and your family will tell you that. And if that's the issue, then, then the next two weeks can be very helpful for you. I mean, the passage says to be very encouraging and love towards the captains and, and, the, and the coaches. If you can't be that way anywhere, then that's, that is your thing. And, and let's talk about it the next two weeks because the passages will address that. But if, it's, if you're a relatively an encouraging person and, and you like to tell people what a great job they're doing and you like to lift them up and build them up, but not here, then that's probably our issue. And we're just not getting along as a team. And I would love to help you find a place where you could do that. In other words, if you can't be encouraging here, we've got to find you a church where you can be encouraging. Where you, where you want to help, you, you want to tell the people that are working in the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the people on the, on the stage or wherever it might be, the, the people that are greeting you and, you, and you, and you can't do that here, then you've got to find a place for your family where you can do it because you have to do this. I mean, that's what it means to be on a team. In other words, if you can't play for the Spurs, then go play for the Pistons. You know, God bless you because that's where you need to be. But this passage says, if you're in a church, you, you should encourage those captains and those coaches. And this church, I've been here almost half my life, it does that. 
I could tell you stories. When I was the youth pastor here, uh, we didn't have a senior pastor for a while, and so I was up, you know, on the podium a lot. And, you know, I, all I had was a ratty old uh, suit that belonged to my brother, honestly. And, and I, had a, I had a friend. He sent me to a tailor to buy two suits, and they were custom fit for me. Called me up on vacation and said, Matt, I want to buy you a suit. No, I'm going to buy you two suits because you're going to marry and bury people, and I want you to look your best when you're up on that stage. That's the kind of thing they do around here. Let me tell you what else we do. Again, this is, this is kind of for your eyes only. But when we pay our staff, the pastors and the, and the leadership here, the pastors and the um, help, whatever you call them, staff, the other staff, we, we pull all the information from a bunch of churches in central Austin and find out what everybody else is paying. Kind of what, what's the market rate? We find out what the market rate is. And then we push ours pretty much as, as top, to the top. We try to push it as high up as we can. The elders made that decision a few years ago. That was not always the case. But we said, you know what? we got to pay our men and women as much as we can because they earn it. We want to encourage them in love. The second thing we do here that's kind of unusual is uh, that pastoral survey that's given out has, you know, senior pastor, executive pastor, adult pastors, and then youth and children's pastor down here. We don't believe that in that we... We don't think the youth pastor is working any less than our adult pastors, maybe more. We don't think our children's pastor is any less important than our adult ministry, maybe more. And so we don't put them in the pool with the other ones. We don't say, we're going to make you the highest paid children guy in town. No, we're going to say, we want you up with the other gentlemen that are professionals in their field and they're experts at what they do, and we want you to be in that bracket, and we want to pay you as much as we can. There's, there's been people that have joined our church that have worked in other churches. They've never received a raise, and they never had a bonus in their entire careers. And when we gave them those envelopes on various occasions, let me tell you, I wish we could film it because I'd put it on the screens because it is fun to watch a grown man cry. It really is. It's not why you go into the ministry. You can't go into it to make money. But, boy, when you get paid sometimes or you get a bonus out of nowhere, it'll, it'll drop you to your knees. This is a great church. It is known for being grateful and appreciative for the coaches and for the captains. Well, the last thing here, let me just say thank you for that, okay? And um, it's low of overflowing. It's esteeming highly. I'm so far behind. I'm so sorry. The next, the next thing to do, the oh yeah, is be at peace with one another. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13b says, be at peace with one another. You're honoring your captains. Absolutely. You have your goals. Perfect. Now get along with one another. A simple verse to make this happen is Romans chapter 12, verse 8. It says this, If possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. As far as it's up to you, write a letter, take them to lunch, bring in a friend to help, whatever it is. But after, you know, just do every. You don't have to be friends with everyone. You just have to be friendly. Right? We're on the same team. Let's get along so we can do stuff. When I was in high school, uh, our high school did not have a very talented team. They did not have a very big team. They did not have a very fast team. This is a, this is a long time ago. And when you went to the state playoffs in 5A, it, was, it would be today's 5A, you, had, you couldn't get to the playoff, far into the playoffs unless you had to get through Odessa Permian. And everybody knows about Odessa Permian. That's what Friday Night Lights is written about. And everybody knew you had to beat them. We beat them. We won the state championship. Little guys that were slow beat Odessa. And here's why. We were the first team to send them into the locker room at halftime behind. They'd never been behind. It was a racially divided school. 
You never knew that your first quarter, not the second quarter. But I don't know what happened in that locker room for 25 minutes when they came out. All the black players were on this side. All the white players were on that side. And before the ball was kicked for the second half, everyone knew this game is over. They had the same goal. They had better players. They had more speed, more power, more better coaches, everything. All we had was a team. We had a team. And that team won the state championship. That's what Paul's saying. These guys love their captains. Those captains earned those positions, and they played well together. Let me just read this to you. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you all are all doing. Now, I ask you, brothers, respect those, acknowledge those, tag them, those who work among you, those who are over you, those who admonish you, and hold them in the highest regard in love because of all the work they're doing. Live in peace with one another. I could write this to you guys. You're doing a great job. Just do it more and more. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I want to, I just, again, as a pastor, I'd just like to thank you for this church and how encouraging she has been to our captains uh, these years. Lord, I'd ask, though, right now that your spirit would come upon ours and convict us if that's necessary. If we're withholding gratitude for some reason, could you make us contagious in our encouragement towards those in leadership, those, those ladies and men that are in the children's and the youth ministry, those students, those helpers, the greeters, and, and God, if, if maybe, you're, you're, maybe you're dinging us to say, we, I, maybe I'd be better at another place. Could you make that clear so I could take my family to a place where I could be an encouragement to the captains and the coaches of that local church? God, I'd ask that you continue to bless us, that you'd bless us indeed more and more with this love for you and the journey that we're on together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.